before we start this morning and we look at Matthew chapter 10, uh, let me remind you that uh, summer weeks gives us opportunity to take some uh, R&R and read. And our library is filled with wonderful titles. Here's uh, a new title to our library and not a new book, but new to us. Elizabeth Elliot, Secure in the Everlasting Arms, the Everlasting Arms of our Savior. So ladies in particular, you might enjoy Elizabeth Elliot. And here's another book that has a very much to do with vacation. This one you could sit and read in about 30 minutes. The Dangerous Duty of Delight. The Dangerous Duty of Delight. As you go on vacation, as you enjoy yourself, as you do whatever it is that you do on vacation. The Dangerous Duty of Delight. So you might want to borrow this book. What we're going to do this morning is take a look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, As you all know, Joe read to us the bulk of that chapter a few minutes ago. And as you look at verse 16 in particular, uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered when it's right to speak the gospel? You wonder, should I say something or should I not? You're in a situation and you're wondering, well, would this be a good time to say, well, let me tell you what Jesus Christ has done for you. Maybe you are in a work atmosphere and some of your workmates start making fun of Christianity or of the Bible or of Jesus. And you're listening and you're listening and and you're wondering, well, should I make right now a defense for the gospel that has transformed my soul and simply introduce to them the beauty of Jesus Christ? And you're wondering, you're debating, or maybe you're sitting in the classroom and your professor is denouncing Christianity and you're wondering, well, would this be wise right now for me to raise my hand and say, excuse me, ma'am, but... Actually, what we do believe is, and what Jesus Christ has done for me is, and you debate, is this the right time? Maybe it's a family gathering where the bulk of the people around the table are not believers, and you're wondering, you know, should I speak the gospel to my brother, to my sister-in-law, to my dad, to my Aunt Ellie? And you wonder, and you debate, Uh, Maybe you're in a foreign country where evangelism or conversion is illegal. There are numerous countries that do not allow you to actually convert to Christianity or to speak the gospel in public or private. And you wonder, should I or should I not? When do you run from danger? And when do you embrace the danger and speak the gospel despite whatever threat may come your way? Well, back in 1684, preacher John Bunyan, most of you know him as author John Bunyan. He's the author of Pilgrim's Progress, the second most read book in all of history. Uh, The Bible being the first. Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress being the second. And you thought it was Harry Potter, right? No, it's Bunyan. He published another book called Seasonable Counsels or Advice to Sufferers. And there Bunyan, while incarcerated, by the way, he was incarcerated for being a Protestant preacher who was preaching without a permit. 
The civil authorities wouldn't give him a permit to preach because they didn't like his gospel. It was very biblical. They didn't like it, so they wouldn't give him a permit, so he wasn't allowed to preach in public. But he did nonetheless. And so here he is, he's incarcerated when he writes Pilgrim's Progress, but uh, at this point he's writing seasonable counsels. And, and it addressed this question. When does a sufferer run from danger, and when does he take a stand and suffer the danger? Bunyan knew exactly what to do for himself. And so let me paraphrase what he writes for all of us. This is what he writes. You may do, the question again is, when do you run or when do you speak the gospel, right? He writes, you may do what is in your heart. If it is in your heart to run, then run. If it is in your heart to stand, then stand. Do anything but deny the truth. Whoever runs has reason to do so. Whoever stands has reason to do so. Yes, the same person may both run and stand as the call of as the call and working of God in his heart may be. He goes on. Moses fled. And another time Moses stood. David flew. And then David stood. The prophet Jeremiah fled. The prophet Jeremiah stood. Christ withdrew himself. Christ stood. The apostle Paul fled. The apostle Paul stood. He writes, There are few rules in this case. The individual person is best able to judge concerning his present strength. Do not run because you are enslaved by fear but rather because running is a direction from God, providentially opening a door for your escape. And the escape is allowed by God's word. By the way, John Bunyan had four children. Of the four, one was blind. And he chose to preach the gospel. And he was incarcerated. And at times they would allow him a weekend free to go home and be with his family. And on that Sunday, guess what he was doing? He was preaching the gospel to which they would elongate his incarceration to 12 years. For 12 years, he was in prison because he simply preached the gospel without a permit to do so. He could not promise not to preach the gospel. They said, listen, John, if you promise not to preach, we'll let you go. He said, I can't make that promise. You see, this is what he believed God would have of him, and this is what he did. And so for 12 years, he remained in jail. The truth is, my friends, is that there is a time to speak, and there's a time to be silent. There's a time in which we need to face up to the threats, and then there's a time in which we need to run from the threat. On occasion, I'm going to venture to say that it, You've met this person. That, that one zealous Christian person who, who doesn't know the right time to speak the gospel. And they speak the gospel in a very untimely way. You're like, oh, I don't know if this is the best time to say it, but they just rattle it, rattle it off very boldly. And in a way, you're kind of proud of them. And you're like, well, I, I wish I could do that. But by the same token, it was bad timing. They speak in an 
appropriate, inappropriate way. They speak in, uh, in a self-righteous, condemning way. They speak unwisely. They speak out of turn. They speak the gospel in an unloving way. And you're like, oh, please stop. Please stop. You're doing more harm than good. But in reality, I think most of us have encountered the opposite more often, and usually we are the culprit. That we have opportunities to speak the gospel, but out of timidity, out of fear, sometimes out of shame, we don't speak the gospel. And we don't know, we don't know whether or not it was right or wrong. Well, take a look at the vulnerability Christ describes of every single believer. It's recorded here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus Christ said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Notice here the description of the Christian. The description of the Christian is this. Believers are to be like sheep. Now, being like sheep is not exactly a compliment because sheep are pretty dumb animals. The sheep are so dumb they make cows look intelligent. But here, Jesus Christ is not calling us dumb. He's not calling us dim-witted. What he's referring to us as sheep when he refers to us as sheep, sheep, he's saying that there's a certain aspect of need and care that we possess as God's people. You are his sheep, which means that you need his care. You are vulnerable. And Christ is sending us out as vulnerable sheep into this world. Sheep also convey the idea of harmless, of being innocent, Whenever we drive past a a pasture filled with sheep in our neighborhood, we don't look at it and say, ooh, that looks dangerous. Oh, that looks scary. Correct? We, We are actually attracted. We say, oh, look how pretty. Look how serene. Look how peaceful, how tranquil. It's one of the things we like about our, our community. There's fields, pastures of sheep. And what do they do? No harm, that's for sure. And by the way, the Bible is very clear as to who the sheep are. The sheep are the flock of Christ. In the Gospel of John chapter 10, it says that the sheep know the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Same chapter says the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. I remember being out on a farm in Nebraska for a couple of days and I'm, um, I'm venturing around with the farmer, and, and the, he, he was a cattle herder. He, and I said, wow, you do all this by yourself? And he had hundreds and hundreds of cows. He says, it's pretty easy. Watch what I do when it's time to gather them in. He pulls out a whistle, and he blows his whistle, and the cows knew his whistle. And all of a sudden, all these mooing cows come, and they gather all together, and they come and they eat. He blows the whistle again, and they disperse. The cows knew his whistle. So the sheep of Christ know his voice. When he speaks, 
we recognize it. When he speaks, we know his not only his voice, but his truth. We gather around. In fact, chapter 10, verse 4, says that the sheep of Christ follow the shepherd. In other words, we are totally dependent on the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Why? Because sheep are weak. Sheep are vulnerable. They are fragile. Now notice here that the sheep are being sent out into the midst of wild wolves. Wolves are carnivorous. They're wild animals. Wolves cannot be tamed. I remember one time being at some carnival, not far from here, and they had a, a, a wolf display. And there's a lady standing next to the cage. And by the way, it's a four-sided cage with a top on it, too. So the wolves couldn't jump out. It was six feet high, and it was still covered over, fenced in. And she said, these wolves are tame while she stands outside of the pen. <laughs> and outside of the pen was also another fence about four feet away from the cage so that we couldn't stretch our hand and put it in the tamed wolf's cage. Maybe they were tamer, but they were not tame. They're wild animals. They roam freely, sometimes in packs, sometimes alone. But they are fierce animals. They are prey-stalking animals, voracious animals. They plunder, and they do so with violent strength. That's what a wolf is. And here we're being told that the sheep are being sent out among the wolves. Sheep are the followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ, and the wolves are those who are not in Christ. Uh, take a look at the opposition that we face. Well, let's begin with the opposition that, that Christianity faced in the days of Christ, that the church faced in the early days of its existence. In fact, in the days of Jesus Christ himself, the greatest opposition was from the religious leaders. Go figure. The religious leaders were the first and foremost opposition to Christ. And then, of course, there was the general public who loved their sins more than they loved the truth. In fact, if you take a look there at the screen, you see uh, what's probably the oldest graffiti against Christianity. It's a, uh, a graffiti from around the day um, year 50 in Rome. Um, and you see there a man worshiping a jackass supposedly Christ. You see, Christianity has never been embraced by the wolf. It wasn't then, it isn't now. In fact, today there is an increasing hatred and animosity towards Christianity. A hatred towards Christ. A hatred towards the Bible. A hatred towards anything that's of biblical morality, a biblical value system. The world hates. And if people hate Christ, they're going to hate the people of Christ, the church. So don't be surprised. Now granted, some of this antagonism towards the church is induced by the church. 
by priests and pastors who could not control themselves. And we know of the sexual scandals that have plagued the church, not only in America, but worldwide. What a shame, isn't it? But most of the hatred doesn't come because of that. It comes because we represent Jesus Christ, the things of Christ. Of course, there's hatred in in the public school system, certainly in a higher education realm, pushing against Christian morality. There's a general societal antagonism to anything labeled Christian these days. I'm sure you've noticed. There are certain hot-button issues, like abortion, uh, homosexual marriages, and of course the whole LGBTQ plus agenda goes against what the scriptures say, therefore it goes against what the church proclaims, which goes then against what you as a follower of Christ would stand up for. Uh, what we face today is a relativism that comes from post-modernity. A relativism that says that truth doesn't exist, that truth is all relative. It may be true for you, but it's not for me, because I decide my truth, you decide yours. And so we see laws changing and laws challenging the freedom of religious speech, even here in America. Now, thanks be to God, recently the Supreme Court made some decisions that actually preserve religious freedom of speech. But make no mistake, that's only one round. It will come again. The media is increasingly anti-Christian. And unfortunately, even some churches have become anti-Christian. It's hard to believe how we turn on ourselves. Clergy who simply discard the word of God as being myth or folklore. Pastors who refuse to preach the content of the scriptures. Churches that believe that like gender marriages or couples is okay with God. Churches without the love that they need for the truth of God. We turn on ourselves. What I find, one of the things I find most amazing about the present era we're living in is that our nation is more apt to embrace Islam than Christianity. Islam with all its restrictions, Islam with all its fallacies, versus Christianity, not only with all its truth, but with the history of benefiting our nation. Our nation is what it is today because of the scriptures and because of the church in our borders. And yet, as blessed as we are by it, we are willing to push it out and discard it as refuse and embrace more willingly Islam itself. Now keep in mind, let me just make a little side note here, that the, the wolves who surround the sheep are those people who have experienced degeneration from the knowledge of God. That's who they are. They have closed their eyes to the common grace that God gives to all people. God says, look, I am here. Just look, you'll see me. Look at creation, you know that this not ha- did not happen by itself. But people have closed their eyes to it, they've ignored the true God, and they fabricated their own God, namely themselves. 
Look at what Romans chapter 1 reads, beginning of verse 21. Romans 1, 21. You see here that these people, these wolves, if you will, are living a hopeless existence, grim, a futile existence. Romans 1.21 reads this way. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. That's the world we're living in. Now certainly this was written 2,000 years ago, but it's still the world we're living in. The only thing that has changed are the images. It's only natural for us to, as God's sheep, for us to feel overwhelmed, to feel defenseless. Our natural response is to be afraid, to be preoccupied, to be filled with worry. Because the people who are resisting Christ will naturally resist the people of Christ. That's us. And we wonder what's going to happen when we do speak the gospel in a public forum. You know, it's very easy to speak the gospel from here. Very easy. Because I don't think any of you are going to turn around and bite me. You're not wolves. But it is very difficult to speak the gospel when I'm not standing behind this wooden piece of furniture. You'll notice here, as it was read to us earlier, Matthew chapter 10, all sorts of possibilities of danger that can come our way because we speak the gospel. It was true then, it's true today. Look at verses 18 and 19. The government will oppose you. Matthew 10, verse 22. Religious people will turn on you. Again, verse 22. The public may very well ridicule you and even hate you. Verse 26. Threats will come your way. Verse 28. Physical harm may come to you. Verse 21, and then 34, right down to 37. Even your family might reject you because you chose to be a follower of Christ. You chose to be a sheep in his pen instead of the wolf. But this is not surprising, my friends. You know why it's not surprising that wolves would do this? Because wolves will act like wolves. You can't expect a wolf not to be a wolf. So we should not be surprised. Here's a question that comes to my mind as I read Matthew 10. If Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, good shepherd, why in the world would he send his vulnerable sheep into the field of wolves? If he's the good shepherd. I also wonder, why would the good shepherd send his sheep into this dangerous place? Well, I asked the question, let me give you three answers. Here's answer number one as to why the reason the good shepherd would send his sheep into this field of wolves. And this one is a difficult one. It's a very unfortunate one. 
one of the reasons why the Good Shepherd sends us into the midst of the wolves is because we listen best to God's voice when we are in dark places. It's the most unfortunate reality of human nature. We tend to listen best to God when things are not going well. When things are going well, we tend to simply not keep in touch, not listen very well, go about our business as usual. It is when things are hard, when things are tough, that we fall on our knees and we say, Lord, now what? Lord, where are you? Lord, are you with me? Lord, give me strength. Lord, help me to sustain and persevere. Lord, help me. During the dark days. I still remember back in on 9-11 how full the church was for about two weeks because we were scared our borders were attacked and so close right out of Newark airport and the American church began to tremor oh lord is this the end oh lord what's going to happen to my home my family my income my job for two weeks we were scared but when the military responded we said God the air force has this one we don't need you Lord the marines have been called we don't need your help so much anymore and that fear simply dissipated and things were back to normal my friends when we are in jeopardy we tend to look to God and that's where we learn life lessons best we learn in the dark in fact if you look at verse 27 in chapter 10 there it says proclaim in the light what you learned in the dark proclaim in the good days what you learned in the bad days we learn best when things are not going well here's a second reason why the good shepherd would send us out into the field of wolves it is by sending us that we are forced to grow spiritually. There we experience the power of God to protect and to save. There we learn to trust in God. There we learn to depend on God. Unless we go out into that field, we don't learn to trust. We don't learn to depend. And so you see the good shepherd is being good by sending us there. Because it causes us, it forces us to grow spiritually. And here's a third reason why the Good Shepherd would do that. It's because the world needs to hear the message of the gospel. That, that necessity is so great, it is so urgent, that the cost doesn't matter. Because the need is so great. We need to show this world the Christ. We need to proclaim Christ to the Lord. And so he says, I'm sending you out even among the wolves. Even if they do bite. We need to announce victory over sin, victory over condemnation, victory over death. And so we are sent out with a purpose, a very specific purpose. And what I want you to see this morning, that our instruction from on high is how we are then to conduct ourselves when we go. 
And notice here, it doesn't even say if you go. It says, I am sending you. When you go, here's how we should conduct ourselves. The expected conduct. Notice here, it's a very balanced pattern of life. Be wise as a snake, innocent as a dove. Wise as a snake, innocent as a dove. And the truth is there in the Greek, it could read innocent as a pigeon as well. But we usually don't think of pigeons as being innocent, especially after we washed our car. But what's a dove? Essentially, a dove is a white pigeon. But for us, the, the uh, dove rather conveys a sense of peace, a symbol of peace. And so the translation makes better sense to say dove over pigeon. But notice here a balanced attitude. We cannot be sheep who refuse to go to the wolves. We cannot be sheep that are timid and afraid. But we need a balance. We can also not be overzealous sheep and for some reason think that we are going to be able to govern the wolf. We should not be so afraid that we would not go, but neither should we think that we're going to rule over the wolves. You need a balance. Not only are we to be ones who will go with a balanced understanding, we hear very clearly, clearly it says, be shrewd, be wise as a serpent. In other words, be discerning. Now, this summer we have found a few small garter snakes in our yard. One right in the front, a few in the back. The other day a cat caught one and left us a little piece there to see. And my wife doesn't like it at all. Personally, I don't like snakes either, but I'm okay with a little garter snake. The other day I was coming to my car and the snake, as quick as could, it could slithered across the walkway and hit itself. Very shrewd. He felt the vibrations. My wife is making all kinds of faces right now. She's like, she can't stand snakes. The serpent is shrewd. He knows when to hide. He knows when to run. And here the scriptures are telling us to be discerning, think it through, be careful, be sensible. Exercise cautious self-preservation as you go out among the wolves. Be like a serpent. Now, when, when the scriptures here says, be like a serpent, it's not saying be devilish, like we see in Genesis uh, uh, chapter uh, 3. It's not saying that we should be like the serpent in the Garden of Eden. It is, it's not saying that we should be unethical or manipulative. It is not saying that we should compromise our integrity. It is not saying do something wrong in order to get the right uh, results. No, it's saying be cautious. In fact, verse 23 says, flee when you are persecuted. One writer put it this way. When the wolf opens his mouth, don't jump in. Be wise as a serpent. And be innocent as a dove. To be innocent as a dove means that you are willing to be victimized if you have to. Even if it's unfair, even if it's without cause, be willing. 
to be innocent as a dove means that you would pursue after the wolves with a blameless heart, innocent, without a hidden agenda, with pure motives, with pure intentions. Romans 16, 19 says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. To be innocent as a dove means that you are peaceable, that you are gentle, that you are harmless, that you do not lack integrity. That's how we are being sent. We're being sent as sheep among wolves, and we are to be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Four different animals. So we're, we're supposed to be cautious. We need to be cautious. But if we are too cautious, we're going to end up hiding our light under a bowl. And what good is that? My friends, we cannot become cowards as we venture out into this world with the gospel of Christ. We must expose ourselves to the wolves why? Because we love Christ. Why? Because we love his truth. Why? Because we have a love for the lost. Why? Because we want to be obedient to God. So we have to get out there. But in the process, be innocent as a dove, be wise as a serpent. Let me show you something else about the goodness of Christ. Notice here in verse 16, it says that he is sending us. I am sending you. He is the sender, Christ himself. Which means that as he sends you, he protects you. The one who overcame death for himself will protect you as he sends you. So because Christ is present with us, we can go. It doesn't mean we won't get hurt. It doesn't mean we will necessarily be treated fairly. It does mean that Christ is in control and he will take care of his own. He will see you through. In fact, look at verse 26. Because Christ is present with us, verse 26 tells us the truth will be revealed. Verse 28, our souls will not be harmed. Soul, not body. Our souls will not be harmed. Verse 31, God will sustain you with his love as you go out among the wolves. Look at verse 32. As you go out and do his bidding, God will acknowledge you. That's a great thing, isn't it? God will acknowledge you. Christ's protection is over us. But listen, his protection is over us as long as we walk within the parameters that Christ has set for us. And, and therefore, we need to be wise as serpents. How far can I go, Lord? And innocent as doves. The only danger that we really face, the only real danger that we face, is when the sheep begin to act like wolves. When the sheep acts like a wolf, then we have crossed beyond the boundaries of God's protection. So beware. We're always afraid of 
of wolves who are dressed like sheep. But here, we're talking about the sheep that would act like a wolf. Beware. You don't want to be that sheep. So let me give you in closing here five application points. Five things for you to remember this week. Here's the first one. God has entrusted us with the task of taking the gospel to the world. Whether the world is here in our own community or beyond, across other borders, other countries, Christ has called on us to take the gospel. That's his command. That's his expectation. Therefore, I am sending you, he said. Here's number two. In the process, never underestimate the wolf. Wolves will act like wolves. Right? Don't underestimate them. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. But here's number three. Don't underestimate God. God's ability to change a wolf into a sheep. Here's number four. Become wiser. Become more harmless. If we are going to be effective gospel proclaimers, we need to be more so innocent and wiser. How do you do that? By knowing God's word, by applying God's word, and by trusting the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more, one more piece of application. As you go out into this world filled with wolves, as vulnerable, innocent sheep, look for and take opportunities to speak the gospel to others, even if they are wolves. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying God, Christ, has sent you, and therefore it's possible. Know when to run, know when to stay. But take the gospel and speak it when you have the opportunity. At times you may have to be silent. But when the opportunity is there, take it. And let's see what Christ is going to do with it. Let me pray. Our Lord and Savior, how good it is to know that as you send us into this world that is so antagonistic to your truth, that you come with us. For you are our good shepherd, leading us, protecting us, protecting our souls and giving to us what is necessary. Give us wisdom, Lord, that we would know when to stay, when to run, when to speak, when to be silent. In your name we pray. Amen.